You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Land of Legacy podcast. This is your host, Adam Keith, and Matt Dye is joining us via phone call from where are you chicago i'm in chicago currently we'll soon be in columbus but chicago currently chicago currently we've got a uh, consult tomorrow coming up in ohio and so matt's flying out and i have meetings so we had to divide and conquer so i'll be in the meetings and matt will be consulting so we're running a full bore as, as good as we can go so we're gonna have to do this on the fly but that's okay that yeah. means that means we're busy we're on properties and things are moving forward with land of legacy yeah for sure we got all kinds of uh exciting stuff happening for lnl and i think uh they're only we've only scratched the surface on what we've got coming down the pipe and so i think people should be really excited for not only getting audio information as far as podcasts but soon right. to be visual um, videos as far as films coming really, really soon. Very soon. And, you know, Adam, we, we go to a church and the, their slogan, and they always use it, is the best is yet to come. And this is one of those moments for us that I think the best is yet to come. Like, I hope everyone's ready because we are, certainly are and we're excited to get it out there. Oh, totally, totally. I think uh, this week's podcast is going to be an interesting one. Um, it's kind of, I mean, gives a little bit of the background, but also it's, it's one of those things that from the beginning of, of land and legacy is like, well, it's just a matter of time. You know, it's just one of those things that with what we do, it's only going, and I'm going to try not give too much away, but, um, it's with what we do, it's just a matter of time before we have, um, a company like this. And I I guess we can go ahead and say it, but we have been Harshine from Hunt Terra Maps, um, on the podcast this week and, yeah. and talking about what the hunt terra maps, uh, the, what different types of things that you can get with their, with their mapping software. And I, we'll go ahead and apologize since Matt's in the airport, there is background <laughs> airport noise. Oh yeah. You're going to hear everything. You're going to hear when I board or hopefully not. Cause that means I'm running late, but you're here when everyone else needs to board and everyone else passing by. But, um, hopefully it's not too loud for you guys. Yeah. So anyway, um, with that being said, uh, you'll hear throughout the podcast, but maps 
Um, I don't know what kind of notes you got, Matt. This is a little different for us since you're there and I'm here. And but when it, as far as mapping and why we say yeah. it's just a, a, it was just a matter of time. When you think about what we do, as in we're land consultants, but we're also and that goes right into the real estate world. Oh, for sure. Everything we do, uh, it would be almost impossible. It would feel it would feel very like the pioneer days if we tried to do our job for one week <laughs> without maps. It, it would be like a construction worker going to his job site not having a hammer. Yeah, like you just you can't do it. You can't operate at the the function at the level that you need to without a hammer. If you're construction worker, and we can't do it without maps and and really good maps too. Um, you know, it just, they go hand in hand and whether we are consulting, you know, trying to learn a property as much as we can anyhow from an aerial before we get on site, the same thing with real estate, you know, there's only so much, I guess, a listing will tell you or other agents can tell you. So having a good quality aerial about a property prior to being on site is hands down probably the most important thing that we, that we do. And I guess that's just the beginning work of, of how a map helps us really. Absolutely. I think of, uh, oh, I would rather, if, if we want to say a mini would you rather here, I would rather just get a map and not have any talks with the landowner um, rather than hear everything in full detail and never get a map. Uh, yeah, I, oh, for sure. I, for sure. And, and half the time, like, they can tell me all they want, but until I get a map, I'm not going to have a clue what what it really looks like. So yeah, no doubt. And then and then two, not only do I want a map of their property, but I really really got to understand what's happening in the neighborhood too. What's the land use around it? So you know, if you're ever out there looking for, I guess, a consultant or something, and you want to send somebody a map, really get beyond just your property borders so that entire encompassing area can be analyzed and looked at um because that's going to help dictate what happens on your property too yeah for sure so with that being said we want to go ahead and uh jump on our pre-recorded podcast with ben harshine and we will jump right back here with matt and his buddies at the airport uh, to kind (laughs) of wrap it up all my friends yeah all right sounds good thanks for joining us mr harshine how are things going up there in iowa uh, I'm doing well, fellas. Uh, just coming on, the, like we were talking, the backside of uh, of the flu here, but uh, uh, the sun is shining, and I got my strength back, and and uh, it's going to be a good day. Good deal, good deal. Well, Ben, we are really appreciate you coming on to the podcast here and talking hunt terra, talking late season, whitetail scouting, and um, you've had some exciting things occur over the past couple of weeks with the, I know you participate in the shed rally and everything. Um, but before we dive all the way into that, tell us a little bit about the backstory of Hunt Terra and how you got started and why you got started with creating maps devoted to the outdoorsmen, devoted to hunters and land managers. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I appreciate you guys having me on and being able to share my story. It's one of them. Uh, my wife and I are pretty proud of, but um, it's taken a lot of work to, to, to get to where we're at, and we're certainly not finished by any means. But um, I went to school for, for GIS. Um, most people know that, but it's geographic information systems, basically all things maps from analysis to, to creating them and, and whatnot. And 
Um, I graduated with a degree in GIS and then, and then went to uh, Washington, D.C., where I worked uh, for seven years uh, at the National Counterterrorism Center, um, making maps for finished uh, intelligence. So analysts from there were specialists uh, in different parts of the country would come to us and we would visualize their story for, for different briefings uh, mm. that would go to national security advisors. So um, that's that's where my you know the mapping career started. And as far as Huntera, um, it actually started as a Father's Day. Um, I, I made a map for him as, as a Father's Day gift, where I was able to visualize the terrain in uh, on uh, in what would be just a a, a huge tract of, of of forest. And if you look at the, any normal map, it wouldn't tell you much. But I was able to visualize the terrain with it and kind of do this 3D shading and put the two together and it was a it was of the ground that he raised me hunting on and that was a big hit for him and then it just kind of sp- spiraled from there where his buddies ordered maps and then their buddies ordered maps from me and they said well i might as well start making some pocket change for hunting season and uh, right. uh we basically just started to uh uh it, it grew organically um for for a good while and and then uh we landed a, a couple larger accounts where we, we were able to um, start to advertise more, and and it uh, got to 2014 when my wife actually quit her job first to to help help me keep the business uh, running smoothly. And uh, we, once we were a tag team, we realized how much work we could we could get done. And um, in 2014, we decided, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna chase our chase our dreams here and try to try to go all in with with entrepreneurship and, and growing Hunterra. And, um, uh, we decided, you know what, the Washington DC is just not, uh, not the place for a small business to, to thrive that's no. in the outdoor space. Right. Right. And, uh, selfishly, you know, I said, well, we, we got to go to the Midwest where, where the hub of a lot of our clients are, um, you know, we make a lot of maps for the whitetail hunter and landowner and, uh, uh, picked Iowa, you know, selfishly because of the, the whitetails here. I mean, all, all of the States are along the Midwest have great uh great white tails but um came here to iowa and and uh, got our feet uh, under us and and put our heart and soul into the into the business and we've been here for coming on four years now so um that that's where we're at today and it was uh you know it was a uh certainly a leap of faith uh a lot of sleepless nights still have a lot of sleepless nights but um boy it's rewarding to do what you love that's awesome we can we can definitely appreciate that story firsthand. Now, speaking yeah, of the no doubt, you guys. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say I mean, you guys are kind of along along the same paths here, doing what you love and uh, what you're good at, you know, and that's that's when you can do your best work. So uh, you guys are, are right there with us. Totally, totally. Yeah, we appreciate that. Um, so speaking of all the Hunt Terra maps, you guys have so many options. And I think some of our viewers may not even be aware of all the awesome options that you guys have available. So if you could run through those different types of maps that you guys provide. Yeah, absolutely. So the first uh, thing is what we bring to the table compared to any other map is uh, we blend um, high-resolution imagery with a terrain model that we create. And when you put the two together, you really understand not only the cover and the habitat and the composition of that piece of ground, but you also understand the topography and the terrain and the elevation change. You can see all your ridge lines and your drainages and 
benches and saddles and whatnot. So that's our competitive advantage. <clears throat> and then as far as the materials that we that we offer, we, we have waterproof field maps uh, to take into the field, and that's going to be your durable map. Um, uh, outside, we've got po- the poster map, which is your traditional wall map that you can frame or, or stick right to the wall, uh, large format. And then we also offer a magnetic map, which is uh, uh, certainly our premium product. You can uh, use it to mark uh, points of interest like your stands and cameras and, and, and blinds and scrapes and whatnot with little colored magnets. And it goes right on the wall. Um, so that's that's our, our, our printed product line. And then we also offer a mobile map. That's our, our latest product is uh, the digital version of Huntera on your phone or tablet. And what's cool about it is it it's GPS enabled and it doesn't require any cell service. So once it's on your phone, you can be anywhere where your hunting property is. It doesn't matter if there's good service there or not. Um, it, it will work fine. And that little blue doll will follow you around where, wherever you are on the map. It's really accurate. And you can do GPS tracking. So like the other day we, we were out for shed rally. And as we're walking around, uh, I recorded our tracks, and I think we ended up walking just over nine miles that day. So you can see wherever you walked, and you can drop pins, and it's a great, it's just a phenomenal scouting tool. Um, in addition to, you know, if you hit an animal and you're you're trying to track it and you want to see from a, a larger perspective where you've gone and where that blood trail has gone, you can maybe figure out where he's 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 heading if you're losing blood. So um, those that's our that's our uh, that's our product line and. Every map is custom made for that individual's uh, specific uh, situation, whether they've got 40 acres that they just want a, a nice little map of, or, or they want, uh, you know, uh, a piece of public public land or a big map package or, or whatnot. Everyone is, is made specifically for that, uh, that tractor ground. And that's what we're most excited about. It's we're, we're happy to be able to work with Hunt Terra um, on our consulting side and, and video and podcast side of things. And for our, our clients, we've got people that have got thousands of acres and then some down to 40 or 20 and everything in between. And there's always an option when we send a map um, to you to work with and overlay our recommendations. It turns around and comes back so personalized and so custom for them. Um, it Everyone's been so, so happy with the product. Um, and I just love the how clear the image is, um, and the workability, the functionality of those maps. Yeah, thank you. I mean, uh, anything you do, whether you're going to, with land, whether you're going to buy buy a tract of ground or you're going to burn it or figure out a a timber management plan or you're going to hang a couple tree stands for the rut or you're going to plant, I mean, anything you do when it comes to land starts with a map and uh our goal is to make the ultimate map um for for your situation so i appreciate that it's a it's a great synergy that we we have with you guys it's a it's a no-brainer and we're glad to uh offer your guys uh you know be the canvas for your guys knowledge and expertise to display that and convey that to to your clients so thank you oh thank you ben uh I've got to say, and a lot of our podcast listeners know that I am a, and so much so that I've been actually gifted a couple of flashlights over time. So people are well aware that I'm a flashlight nerd. 
But the other thing that they're not aware of is that I'm a map nerd, and I always have been. And so, like, when I would go on hunting trips and on public ground and wherever, um, I would always get their little, whatever the public ground, they would print out those little maps, and I would have them. Of course, they're just paper. There's no, it's not aerial imaging. It was just, I, I remember getting lost, and I hardly ever get lost. And it's like, these maps are terrible. Like, they're not even up to date. There was, it, it was, it was terrible. And so over time, and I actually, I was thinking last night, I, I think it was 2013 when I met you, when you and I, we, we were at a, the same event in Illinois, I believe it was. And I started then. Yeah, that's at, right when we first moved out. Okay. Yeah. I think that's, yeah. I remember you saying that now, thinking back and, and it was like, huh, what are these hunt terror maps? And as soon as I saw them, I was like, that's awesome. And the fact that you can have topo overlay on an aerial imaging, it's a fantastic aerial photo already, but you get the shading to where it's almost, I think back to those old maps that you would see to where they'd actually had the, I forgot what they called them, but there was actually 3D effects to it. Relief maps. That's it. Matt just said that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I think back to those maps and that's almost what you've got, but without, (laughs) by avoiding, you still avoid all the the mess of what those relief maps had. So you hit it out of the ballpark with the Hunt Terror maps, that's for sure. Mm. Thank you, guys. Appreciate that. Well, let's dive into the nitty-gritty. I want to hear about the Shed Rally. I saw pictures on social media of some awesome finds, and I know you had a big group out there, but you know, kind of, kind of break down um, what you found and kind of, you know, the... I guess the routes that you kind of had pre-planned that you wanted to go. Was there a buck in particular that you just wanted to go out and find? Um, you kind of had your heart set on that. Kind of tell me the the backstory to your anticipation for this um, shed rally. Sure. So uh, the main goal for shed rally was just to get out there and enjoy walking ground with 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 old friends, new friends, and family. Sure. Uh, that was the, that was the main goal is just to get out there and enjoy ourselves um, after this this brutal winter that we've had. So, um, the specific farm that we walked is uh, relatively new. Uh, we hunted it last year, me and a, and, a, and a couple other guys. I share it with a handful of guys, mm-hmm. um, and we actually didn't run cameras too hardcore on it. Um, we just we we we, uh, we don't have a, a ton of back history on this place. So our goal was just to go there and get inventory of, okay, what are, first of all, are there any, you know, are, are there a good bit of bucks or deer in general using this place in the winter time? Mm-hmm. Um, and from there, okay, well, let's, let's try to try to gather what kind of, you know, what kind of age, age structure we have and, and, uh, and, and whatnot. So, uh, our plan of attack was to break the farm and it, it's, a, it's a rather large one about uh 800 acres or so and and uh we broke into three different teams and just sectioned off different zones on the map Mm -hmm. so we laid the map out and and said okay you know team Corey go here team dan go here and and team mark go here and and so we kind of broke it up and and uh we had some people walking walking edge where the timber meets the the crop fields we had some people going into the thick stuff and, and some, some people 
um, kind of on, uh, you know, out in the open trying to find sheds out, you know, actually in the cornfield and whatnot. So, um, that was our, that was our plan. And, uh, we, we had a really good time. Um, we actually were pretty unproductive, uh, uh, up until lunch between the 12 of us, we only found three sheds. Um, but then after we all got together and, and some, some people had to go home, um, there was, there was only six or seven of us left and we picked out a couple of different parts on the farm that, that we didn't walk. And one of them was this, uh, basically the largest, uh, buffer strip or, 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 or waterway, um, in between this, that's went up along this field and it was the a large one. I mean, it's probably about the size of a football field. Oh wow! And uh, bam, we found about a dozen of them in there, just all of a sudden, all at once. And wow. that was really interesting, you know, to be able to, you know, try to figure out, okay, well, why, why, you know, after we just covered a ton of the farm through some really thick cover, through some, some trails that, that led out into the food, uh, uh, food sources, why are they all here in this, in this grassy waterway? So that was, that was pretty interesting. Um, you know, we got a lot of winter scouting done, uh, you know, to try to determine where the, the, a lot of the, tra- uh, consistent travel was and where a lot of the, um, a lot of the buck sign, uh, you know, was evident from, from the past fall, mm-hmm. uh, you know, by identifying rubs and scrapes and whatnot. So it was just a great day to walk and, and learn, uh, learn the farm. Yeah, that's awesome. And it, I think, you know, like the struggles that morning of, of trying to find sheds, you know, around through some places that you would think automatically, you know, edge, they're traveling the edge or in the thick cover and not having the success there. But something that you mentioned earlier in the podcast and then where you found a bunch of sheds kind of correlate um, for, for me anyhow, is you, you mentioned a really harsh winter um, and a tough winter, cold winter, um, and having that thermal radiation from the sun in that grassy waterway they're able to stay warm there and probably spent a lot of time um and just finding those connections between the land and the wildlife and and the weather all that stuff um i think really speaks true to you know that information that you saw in the field and basically can take and use for next season if those conditions arise again Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely i know where we'll head first uh if we get another cold winter and and to me it makes sense because everybody talks about you know south facing slopes south facing slopes and 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 i'm sure there is there is a, a rhyme or reason to this this one was that it was a it was a grass it was a grassy waterway that came up from the creek bottom and and it you know it, it meandered uphill it was facing south but i think more importantly it's it's the way that the crop fields are it's shielded from a harsh north wind that um you know is, is bringing is bringing some wicked you know wicked cold and and you know they're not necessarily betting there all day right but I, I guess what they're what they're doing is they're getting up they're eating the waste grain at night you know in in the cornfields and then they're coming right back down and, and, and laying back down and in that grass and, and and then getting up again and i don't know do you guys think that they're 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 betting there during the day as well they're all hanging hanging tight there during the day too or uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think you know from the sounds of it, with that with that harsh winter, a lot of times what we see is deer going to feed, coming back, bedded down because you've got a heavy frost on, 
And so sometime during the night they stop feeding because everything's covered in, in frost. And then as the frost burns off mid-morning or early morning, they get back up and feed for a little while and then go back to bed somewhere. Um, it could be in the same grassy strip or it could be another big thicket. But I would I would totally guess mm-hmm. that, that they spend a lot of time right in there yep. being that close to the food source. Yeah. How, mm-hmm. how tall was that grass in that waterway? And do, you, do you know what kind you of You know, it was species? pretty – it was matted it, – it was matted down a good bit. Um, man, I'm not too solid with my grasses mm-hmm. yet. Uh, I mean, it, it almost looked like a – could it be an orchard grass possibly, but it's taller? I, I don't brown. know. Um, yeah. Yeah, it, it was uh, – there were a lot of big clumps, um, but you could tell that the, the snow and the melt and the freeze and the thaw kind of – you know, laid everything down as a, as a mat. So whenever we, as soon as we dove into there, I mean, the first one we spotted was easily 60, 70 yards away. I mean, just glowing, you know, mm-hmm. and it times up, times up in the sun. So they were pretty easy to find in there. Um, there were pockets of, of locust trees that were grown within there and there was a little topography and it was just quite a big one. So there was some room in there for, for them to not be all on top of each other, but it also didn't take long for a couple guys to, 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 you know, walk the entire thing but that was that was an interesting find excuse me that was an interesting find um you know among just in general scouting and in in trying to find where a lot of these trails are intersecting and and trying to read read the terrain and the topography and and, uh start starting to get the gears grinding for uh some some future stand locations on that place yeah, and I think that's a huge benefit with the mobile map and, of course, scouting this time of the year. This is probably, for me, this is my favorite time to scout um, just because last year's sign is still there. Last year's trails and everything is, is just, it, it honestly looks like it was just a few weeks ago, and so it gives you a really mm-hmm. I- good idea what, what went on the past during the past few months, and so you can put that, you can just mark it on the map and remember it for next time, then come back throughout the year or throughout the spring and early summer and put your stands in place. And it may be even just finding a really a point where they're really bedding on it and going, okay, I need to come back in here. And for us, it'd be, I need to improve this. Let's, let's drop a few more trees, make it a little bit better. Maybe it can hold a few more deer. So that's all just part of the plan. Sure. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. W- one thing I was trying to do is walk as many trails as I could. Um, and this would probably be an ex- a better exercise for another day is to make it trail day, but literally get on, get on these deer trails and record, you know, with the GPS tracking, just record where, you know, walk that entire trail and then go to the next one. And then you can start to literally lay out on the map, all the deer trails and that that's going to take some time, but now's a great time to do it. Great time to learn your farm and you can really, really start to correlate because those trails aren't going to change a ton throughout the years. Right. Right. Um, at least the major, at least the major trails. So boy, if you can, you know, to have a map overlaid with the actual deer trails, um, take some effort, but man, that's what we love. So, um, I'll be doing that in the, in the days and weeks to come. Yeah. That's awesome. I was just sitting here thinking as you were talking, you know, being able to learn how deer and that you could do this for, across multiple different properties walking those trails but exactly pinpoint how they're walking utilizing the terrain because we know you know, typically 
They're, they're going to walk either ridgetops, side slopes, benches, this and that, but really get down to the nitty gritty. And basically the larger sample size, the more properties you have and the more trails you're walking along those areas, um, you can really find some connections, I think, by overlaying and comparing between those properties, those trails you've walked, and then um, utilizing those topo lines and then basically getting those all out in front of you and saying, okay, typically I'm seeing deer, the majority of the time they're walking, the majority of these ma massive trails are along the side slopes or they're coming out in the low areas along the edges of the field, so on and so forth. I think that information you can take across really the country and any place that's got topo and say, Typically, these are how de this is how deer move from A to B in hilly terrain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I absolutely. Think, I think uh, built, stacking on what Matt was saying, um, and and you were saying, Ben, is if you if you have the time and the system with the mobile map to lay out these trails, and you can go down all these trails, that's where you're going to find when you look at it from a 30,000 foot looking down on all the trails highlighted you could totally basically pick up on where uh, I use this reference a lot when we're consulting but where all the two-lane highways merge to make four and six lane highways so you you start picking mm -hmm. up all those bottlenecks to where all the trails kind of randomly went across the landscape and then all of a sudden they got bunched down and probably with the topo overlay mm -hmm. you could see oh there's a steep draw that cuts up right there and it causes them all to bottleneck right there that's that's an awesome pinpoint to get on yeah yeah absolutely and you're going to find with, with that you're going to find areas that the deer um you know they've got a lot of options as far as how they're moving through that specific chamber of the of the farm um, but then you're going to find you're going to find places that they you know it they all prefer this specific spot, and man, that's that's going to be a great place to put some time in, you know, dur during during the fall. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what we're trying to do is just just learn and and uh, become better stewards and become uh, better hunters as well. So um, yeah, right on. Yeah, you can really get the juices flowing whenever whenever you're on the on the ground that's for sure you you really start planning and preparing in your head for next year now did you find any of those places um that you're like i have to get a stand here this just makes perfect sense i can get in and exit cleanly like did you have one of those moments while you're out there this past weekend yeah yeah i found two spots specifically and in all that walking two of them really really stuck out to me and um the uh the, the one is, is, uh, I, I guess at an inside corner and there's just a lo uh, just a ton of diversity mm -hmm. that all happens. right there. So there's a part of the farm where we call, we call it the sanctuary and it, um, without knowing a ton of history on it, I believe that this, this specific, this specific area was timbered years ago. So it's, it's just a ton of young trees that still have their leaves on them. Um, I, I'm not I'm not exactly sure what kind of tree it is, mm -hmm. but, um, it's, it's all, it's like a monoculture of the same tree, but then it's also just a ton of thick, thick, thick briars. Right. And, uh, there's, it's just a, it's about 30 or 40 acre block of this stuff. Um, and then it, you know, one of the edges where it meets the creek bottom and then it meets another draw and it kind of just all, it all happens right there. And anything that's going to come in snoop around in that, in that big bedding area, is going to come past this general area. Right. So that was, that was one that, that I, and, and with how thick it was, there were some really definitive trails 
that uh, that, that were evident. I mean, they're not just going to walk willy nilly in here. They're going to sure. use very specific trails. So that that was an interesting find. And then the other one is on a place that we call the boomerang where on the map it looks like okay these deer could use each side of this draw um and in reality once we were on the ground there's just a there there's it's almost like a like a zipper where um coming off of the the crop field to the north is making all these tiny little mini draws or little little crevices mm-hmm. actually uh and and the unfortunately this land is just eroding away at a rapid pace and there's no way that a deer is just going to walk along inside the timber along. I mean, he's not just going to cross, you know, uh, every one of these, unless he's in danger or whatnot, he could get across them pretty quickly, but he's going to choose something a little bit more easier and gradual to walk. So we were able to take that, that larger, that larger draw and, and dial down into a couple different locations where, okay, they're most likely going to come right past here um, you know, is there, is there cruising from A to B? Sure. Um, so it is, the map's not going to tell you everything. You got to get on the ground and, 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 and use what you hypothesize with the map and you get on the ground and, and really truth it. Exactly. So, exactly. And, you got, you got to basically do your Intel kind of your 30,000 foot view and say, okay, this area, this general location is really interesting to me. I need to get there. And like you said, proof check it on the ground and say, okay, yep, this is what they're doing. This is kind of what I thought, or maybe sometimes you're wrong. Um, you know, and that can just be the, the case of you know, whether it is erosion or um, a couple trees has fallen down and blocked some trails and they're not moving through there like you thought they were. But once you get there on ground, you've got, you've got to check it out. And we've gotten so many requests, I guess, from folks who are, Hey, where do I hang my stand here on, on, on maps and so forth. It's like, I'm going to, tell you general areas that you need to look at but unless mm-hmm. i'm there in person with you i can't tell you exactly but i would be really interested in, in this area this one over here and this one that would be somewhere i would focus in on and and see how you can kill deer in these locations these areas not specifically a tree because again things change like you said when you get on the ground and are in there in person mm-hmm. yeah absolutely what I'm curious what I'll have to show you guys on the map this this certain part of the farm but what are your thoughts the way I'm describing that block of timber that almost looked like it was clear cut years ago and the, the tree I'm I'm guessing this could it possibly be a maple like a silver maple that's still holding its leaves and there's there's a ton of small ones or you know what what are you what are your what I'm describing what do you think it it could be well, what is you, that situation when you started describing it in my head I automatically started thinking a shingle oak just because okay. southern Iowa has, or lots of, I guess, northern Great Plains has lots of shingle oaks, and they're great for holding their leaves. If the leaf is like a a, a long, skinny, yeah. a long, skinny type leaf, uh, I would I would suspect it's a shingle oak, and it's got limbs all over it. Um, they're kind of nasty. Yeah, shingle oak, and so yep. a little brown leaf, yeah. and it's just. Uh, Man, I, yep. I love hunting shingle oaks because they certainly hold their leaves and you always have great cover. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and this is actually, I, I killed my buck this past year 
um, on this farm. It was, it was sit number three. So it was like really at the beginning of us trying to learn this place. And yeah. I, I picked this spot out on the map, mm-hmm. um, from an entry standpoint. And I, I just went in there and literally hung a, you know, hung a set, um, rattled at three o'clock and, you know, the best deer I've ever, you know, had a chance to send an arrow at came into my life and that's where he came from. And, um, it was interesting because he, he came in on the same trail that he left on. So he came in, I grunted him, uh, from, you know, from about 60, I grunted him in to where I shot him. And then he literally turned right around and, and ran right back into the trail that he came in on. Right. And, uh, and he died, you know, he died, you know, soon, soon after right around the corner after, after I lost sight of him. And that's what, when I was in there, my initial thoughts were, wow, these are a bunch of baby oaks. Um, but they just didn't have the, the, the lobed style leaves mm-hmm. of the, the reds or the whites. Um, but regardless, it's certainly a preferred safe zone for them. So, um, after that experience, you know, my, my buddies and I said, okay, well, this is a part of the farm where we're going to leave, you know, hallowed. I mean, this is sure. a, an area, no goes on here. Um, so great, great bedding area that happens already be there that we didn't really have to improve, but, uh, boy, the value of that too can be pretty powerful. Uh, oh, absolutely. A place that, that thick. No, no doubt. And I think that's what, what you talked about right there was so important. I think can be used across the country on, on different properties. It's saying, okay, I've got this resource that's different. It's thick. It, it got cover at the right height, at the adequate composition, basically. And I know it, and I'm going to treat it just like a sanctuary. I'm going to actually stay out of it. I'm going to utilize it as, as the safe zone, but hunt around it. And sometimes it's so easy to say, I know the deer are there. I'm just going to go there. I'm just going to hunt it. But really, your best success is going to be found treating it as a sanctuary and hunting deer as they're leaving it or going back to it in those transition areas. And that's exactly what you did. Um, and I think that that same strategy is going to be improved so, so successful for you um, in years to come if you just continue to treat it as the sanctuary like you are. Mm-hmm. In case people have it. Yeah, that's the plan. Yeah. Well, good deal. Well, it sounds like you already got it figured out from, what did you say, third set? (laughs) Well, uh, you you know, some things just kind of blatantly stick out to you on on the map. I look at so many of these these maps all day, every day, and, and, um, you know, you just start to, your eye gravitates to certain features and, and, uh, and whatnot, but no, we certainly don't have it figured out, but it, it's it's cool to. It, it was really rewarding to uh, to slip in there, um, you know, and use the map as a as the foundation for where I was, you know, deciding on where to sit that that day based on the wind and and my scenarios. And hey, it it, uh, it worked out. Uh, it worked out well. So um, a lot more to learn on this place, though, for sure. But um, it's exciting to whenever it all comes together every once in a while. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. We, uh, in case people haven't figured it out by, by now, but, um, Lana Legacy has officially teamed up with Hunt Terra to make the Hunt Terra maps the official maps of Lana Legacy. So I think it was just a, a long time in the works and it, and it, it was just a matter of time for it happened. Uh, fantastic maps and, and we can't wait to showcase those more and more each week. So. 
Yeah, I appreciate uh, everything you guys are doing, and uh, yeah, it's it is a, a match uh, as natural as it gets. So, looking forward to a long, uh, fruitful relationship with with you guys, and we're in the we're in the same wavelength here. We're trying to grow our our brands and businesses, and just do hard, good, solid work for people and earn a living. So that's right. Um, I'm excited to excited to work with you guys. We appreciate it, Ben, and, and thank you so much for coming on and talking about um, your success this past weekend in the Shed Rally and just gaining information, spending time outdoors with family and friends. You can't beat that, um, even if you didn't find a shed. So thanks for coming on and talking about that, talking about Huntera. We really appreciate your time. Uh, you're welcome. Th- thank you, guys. We'll see you, Ben. All right, there you got it, right from the— I guess this is a terrible analogy. I'm sorry, Ben, but I always think of the phrase straight from the horse's mouth. That's he where you get it. Ben a horse. Yeah, just, just called Ben a horse. But right there, straight man. from the horse's mouth, the man at Hunt Terra Maps. You've heard all about it now. Well, I think that he, he hit a lot of really, really solid points. One with just Hunt Terra Maps. But then again, going back to just how useful a stinking map is. I think it's so overlooked i mean again i think we take it for granted oh i got an aerial of this place but like orienting yourself around it and then trying to get a better idea learning the property and then how to apply that to hunting he hit the nail on the head when it comes to late season scouting yeah so important so important yep take what you learn on those in the field activities those days that you're whether if you're walking with buddies wife whatever shed hunting you know, that information that you gain transfers directly right into um, opening day, you know, the next year for hunting season. Absolutely. I think uh, I think back from way back when I first started really getting serious about deer hunting mm-hmm. um, and all those trips to public ground or wherever it was, that was the first thing we always did when it came time to look at the property was like, well, let's get the map. And, oh my gosh, so frustrating, so many headaches, because we always seem to hunt public ground here in Missouri, and MDC has a, I mean, they're a great organization as far as, or a great department as getting information out there about different conservation areas, but the maps, oh my gosh, the maps are terrible. (laughs) And and we would print these maps off, and it would just be like, oh yeah, this looks like a good area, this looks like a good area, and we'd put X's everywhere that we wanted to scout the first day we got there, and then we would get there, and it was totally different. Of course, it wasn't an aerial image, it was more uh, green shading for forests, and, and it was white for open. And then it, of course, had topo overlay, and it was always like, I mean, oh, it would be like trying to get you oriented with with New York City and ended up in Philadelphia. Like it was just like so far off, just horribly, horribly hard to to find. And so, you know, then of course along came Google Earth. Everybody's used that, but there's huge disadvantages to that. And so, it's limited, right? Oh yeah. Sometimes the images are way outdated, and then if you're in an area of topography change, you can change basically the time of day and get some shadowing on things, but that's pretty much about it. But when it comes to printing that, it, it ain't no way it's showing up. So No, no having exactly. The, having the ability with the Hunt Terror Maps to have topo overlay shading to where you can almost, as we talked with Ben, it almost feels 3D-ish because you yeah, can really see... Does. 
see different ridges. And for us in our country, that's hugely important because if if not, it just looks like a one. I mean, just laid out, might as well painted green on a piece of paper. <laughs> yeah. And said, "Here it is, yeah. boys. Pick your spot." So. Yeah. Good luck. Have and, fun. Anyway, well, the other thing about that map, though, I don't. I don't think we talked about it with Ben. Is he's got the ability to do like grid lines over top of a property. So when we like lay out our recommendations for a client, have it on a hunt chair map. And then he lays over grid lines, like one acre grid lines. Now someone can come in and be like, okay, this TSI unit, really, it's going to be covering, you know, 30 acres, and I'm going to do 15 the first year and move 15 the next year. It's really easy with those grid lines to basically make a great game plan and kind of do phases, or, or, or I'm going to tackle this year one, this year two. Um, it really just breaks it down so easy for you, or if you have a contractor coming in to do it. Um, that, that one acre grid line, I mean, that's it's often again overlooked, but really useful, really yeah, practical. Totally, absolutely. Now, which one's your favorite, Matt? Do you have a favorite hunt terror map? Uh, I, I do, I do. Honestly, I'm I'm the poster guy. Yeah. Um, those, the quality, I guess, the thickness of them, um, and then the ability. Most of them, you can peel back, and then like. They have a you know adhesive on the back side, so you can post it and put it wherever. And they're just so big and grand. Um, what's it, forty by sixty? I think. Like, yeah, you, you can get, get them really all kinds detailed. of different size, but yeah, I think on I, Ben on on the Hunt Terror website, they actually took a Ben took the map of his family farm and stuck it on his desk. So like his oh, desk so cool. is where like he's got all his all his stuff on it, but like. I think he said something like he can he can look right here. So no how no matter how hard the work day is, he can look right here and see where he killed his first deer or something like that. And kind of man, reminisce. I wouldn't get anything done. I really wouldn't. No, it it would be it would be my desk, but everything would be moved to the edges, and it'd be like my yeah. wife would come in and what are you doing? Uh, I, and I'd try to move everything back. I'm just working. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm just working, not planning. You know, no, no biggie. Yeah. So Super productive things. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I, I'm kind of a poster guy myself, even though I love, I think the mobile map and the field map are are yeah. awesome tools, um, and especially like when it comes to consulting and stuff, the field maps would be amazing, and, and as oh, well as the mobile map, but, um, yeah. and then of course the Magna maps are just really, really cool as well, but um, yeah. something about a poster to me, you know, when you look at how many hours have we spent in Kansas oh. looking at the stinking poster? Yeah, but honestly, beyond like, you know, the I guess not frustration, but just the planning, the day in and day out of, okay, I'm going here, you're going here, the wind is this, like so many good conversations. It's kind of like a campfire deal, like around a poster map. It's you <laughs> just have like that camaraderie, those, I was, those conversations, the planning. As, I love it. As you were saying that, I was just getting ready to come up with the, uh, like the campfire. It's like you yeah. can learn a lot about a fellow hunter sitting around a campfire, but... <laughs> You're going to learn a lot about him, too, um, sitting around a poster uh, of the property, finding out if he's one of those guys that's going to gar hole you or not. (laughs) That's for sure. That's for sure. But you just, I don't know, you can't beat it. I I feel feel like it's just one that's so informational, packed in there, looking at it, analyzing it. But then, again, just the the conversation that can be had around it. Honestly, at a camp, every camp that we go to, I'm, I'm always intrigued by them because you know, there's so many stories that the, you know, the client tells or, or just your friend tells. Um, but really, 
every like everything is like the focal point is right there at that map where it's posted on the wall. Like that's just where where things happen, game plan, everything. Yep, totally. It all comes back there. It's the locker room basically of a oh, yeah. of a sports team. So exactly. lots of planning happening there. It's just uh, they're hugely important, man. I, I, and I don't think people when you at the end of when you look at a a full process for us when it comes to laying out a property um and then even our own properties it mm-hmm. it all really starts at a map and ends at a map um, it's the it's bookend you start and you end with it exactly you start with a a product that is pretty much a blank canvas in, in many cases and then you end in basically this piece of work artwork really after everything's laid out and really planned and thought through um and then because they're, they're so good-looking maps, they're like, oh, my gosh, this really is a piece of art. Look at this thing. Right, and I think of, you, you know, if we if we cut out, we really have two parts of our management plans. We have the report and the map. I think, uh, I mean, we have, a, we have plans where the map is really the only thing that's offered just mm-hmm. for affordability for other people. And... I don't think it'd be possible for us to really do a, a good job without a map. Um, it's, it's, it's just a matter of visual learning. Like we can we can write down everything we want in the twenty pages plus pages of a management plan, a full plan. But for them to really understand how again, there's that relationship between the land and wildlife, how it all flows together. You wouldn't have that in just written word. You have to have the the mapping situation that visual representation of what was actually happening in that management plan, like it just it brings everything back together. It's full circle. Absolutely. And before we forget, holy cow, I can't believe, I don't know where we're at in the podcast now, but we have a code, a promo code that you can use. Promo. Yeah, make sure you use it. Um, if you go to the Hunt Terror website and promo code LEGACY, is that capital L or just nope, LEGACY? Just all all lowercase. lowercase. Straight LEGACY. Straight yep. legacy for a discount on Hunt Terror maps, because um, uh, you've heard us talk so highly about maps and Hunt Terror maps. So here you go. Um, here's what we're gonna give to you guys a promo code. So hopefully you can take advantage of it and go. I would encourage you, even if you're not gonna buy anything, go over to the website and check out all the cool features um, of the maps. So yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, totally. I, I think uh, it's definitely one of those things. Uh, that we start and end with, and and it's highly crucial for us to to do it for us to have a good job or do a good job on the management plans. A map is very important. I was thinking, you know, when you're a kid and you read you read a book to all your all the kids in a classroom. Each one of those kids is going to have a different a different look of or a different visual. Um, idea what happened and the same would be true for a report for us we could write 20 pages down but <laughs> it may be different and that's why maps are so crucial to put food oh, yeah. plot here put bedding thicket here put a road here so well, and anyway then, and then when you overlay that topo on top of it it's like it's a no-brainer why why this is here why that's here and then why a deer's going to work from this area to this area and you have your stand placed here because your access is here like it just it flows so nicely yes <laughs> i think a, if you're in timber country and you lay out a bedding thicket and you're like oh it's right here on the ridge top but if you had timber or a topo overlay you can say oh no it's actually side slope mm-hmm. so and it could just mm-hmm. be moved a, a mere quarter inch on the map 
but by that yeah. by that topo overlay you now understand where it's at exactly so anyway there you go you guys heard it all mapping uh, all about maps and everything like that that's all about that map I'm yeah not, never mind oh. sorry yeah, uh, I, I think, really? you know, I wasn't kidding when I said I'm a map nerd just like I'm a flashlight nerd. You oh, should, yeah. I mean, and that goes with, I, I love the old, old antique maps just to see how far we've come. Oh my gosh, yeah. From you know, like, like this, when I was, when I was younger, um, mom would always drive me to like those antique stores just spend hours in there and I would just go find the maps or the globes, like the old really crummy ones that look like they could just fall apart if you touch oh, them. Oh yeah. Those yeah. were my favorite. I just was so taken by it. I'm like trying to figure out I wouldn't you know it could have been sticking Wyoming and I wouldn't have known where it was at but I was looking at it and I loved it I think it's funny when you look at the old maps all the old names they have um, oh yeah I, we did a podcast back in the fall that was about Topo and and mm-hmm. I, there was some bottom over there some yeah. like something that was kind of funny it was like what in the world uh, it, it was a girl's name it was like a woman's name something Kate like, Kate's Hollow Kate's Hollow and someone else's bottom. It's like, well, yeah. interesting. <laughs> yeah, who would have thought? So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I I think I, I had we had a friend that bought a piece of property and he looked at an old map and it said uh, the Devil's Rock Pit was on his property. So it was like, mm. where will they come up with this stuff? But no, maps totally awesome and uh, huge part of our success for not only consulting, but all the way to the real estate and hunting side of things. And so, hunting, absolutely. Yeah. It's really hard for us to, like, I mean, if you ever come to or ask us for advice on your property, one of the first things we're going to ask for usually um, is going to be, well, shoot me a map so I can understand it better. So Shoot me a map, and then we want to get on site to confirm what we see on that map. That's huge. Yep. Huge, huge, huge. Totally. So anyway, with all that being said, Matt, would you rather... Here we go. It's Would You Rather time here on the Land and Lakes podcast. This was a big one. So yeah, I I kind of did it this way because I didn't know how much time we were going to need to fill after talking about maps and everything. Yeah. Um. But here it is. If you were to designate an area of a farm to be more bedding or just more cover, would you plant? Switchgrass, the popular cave and rock switchgrass, mm-hmm. because it's going to stand up throughout the winter and it's going to be tall and a great screen. Or would you plant a mix of little blue stem, big blue stem, Indian grass, and switchgrass, but all in small scales to where it's scattered out? And knowing that switch or big blue stem and Indian grass over over the winter is going to fall and not be nearly as tall but um the diversity kind of out through there of course you're going to plant that's that's beside the point i guess the would you rather is would you rather plant switchgrass or the mix i already know the answer you know the answer well my answer of course is is the diverse mixture um yeah i want it to be a bedding area and i know that I'm going to have other species on the property, too, that want to be able to work through that. And just a straight monoculture of switchgrass is going to be kind of prohibited to those other species. And I've also seen just straight monocultures of switchgrass, and I've seen deer avoiding them. Like 
They almost serve like, as a fence, as a hedgerow. It really is a fence. It, it's a hedgerow for sure, and it's not that they're bending really on the edges, but they're more just completely avoiding it. And if they do have to pass through it, there's like one trail, and they're just basically point A to point B and getting right through it. Because that stuff is thick. It's it's like you don't even want to walk through it as you're trying to burn it. That thick. Um, I think there's certainly a point for, for deer that, okay, this is – this is too much. This is too thick. I've seen it with cutovers um, or clear cuts that come back, you know, three, four years later. Sometimes just those species that recolonize or certain area of pockets, they're just too thick. Um, it's, it's too much for them to basically go through easily. Yeah. And I'd much rather have that diversity for one, diversity on the farm, but two, diversity um, for the benefit of other um, species. But two, three, I guess, is... There's always going to be with that diversity areas that are still standing. Yeah. And I'm going to mix in, you know, gray dogwoods. I'm going to mix in plums and have this, those dotted throughout that area too, so that I'm always have structure to be able to hold up these grasses. And you can't forget about our other Forbes species that we would come no, back and plant. For sure. For sure. Yeah. That's a, really an ideal. That kind of is, is the can that I cracked her with the worms just because of. I mean, Caven Rock is so raved about, and, and and frankly, in the in the country that Matt and I have seen, where it's been switchgrass monocultures, is they're so doggone thick that they almost serve as a as a desert as far as the benefit really, because they they're so thick. Basically, those are the areas that they, or basically, I don't know, I should say they want, or or basically, what it becomes is again, like you said, that island where deer don't go. So those are downwind of stands because they can access through them with a little mow trail, but they know that the deer are not going to be back in there because it is so thick. You think of uh, where we've seen switchgrass monocultures being very successful, and that's not for bedding. That's been for screening and keeping deer out of the area where the hunters or our clients are walking in to approach their stand. So exactly, and exactly. and that's isn't a dog on switchgrass because I think there's instances where we love it as far as r- along a road planting a ten yard strip to screen yeah. off screen off some eyeballs and then over time we love to mix in some other types of those shrubby species that that Matt mentioned earlier just to provide even more of a barrier because you got to think about during the summer months late summer especially when that switchgrass is still trying to grow. Um, there's velvet bucks in the field, so if you can have some something else there that has leaves and limbs, it's going to be another huge advantage for a screen. But um, and then another instance, just like we talked, was was uh, I love switchgrass when it's clumped out and in mm-hmm. less than 25 percent mixture in a native grass stand. Oh uh, yeah, that's that's dynamite. It, it, then I see it scattered around. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. But when it's in a straight monoculture it can be very uh very difficult for for de- deer to maneuver around as well as other animals so yeah i, I mean we, we go back to that monoculture podcast we talked about um monocultures what basically they're it's kind of like a this is my only purpose this is the purpose that i serve and it would be it would be great if switchgrass a switchgrass monoculture was just absolute dynamite preferred bedding but if it's in a monoculture setting, it's it's not. It's kind of the opposite, really, um, yeah. in our experience and what we've seen. So, really, 
it's it's a uh, it's an easy decision. No, I'm going to varsity all day long. <clears throat> no doubt, no doubt. I think it's one of those things. How wonderful is clover for a food source? Oh, it's wonderful. But if you planted the entire farm in that, you wouldn't have any cover, and it would be bad. If how wonderful oh. is is uh, little blue stem? Oh, it's wonderful. But if you planted the entire farm in that, they'd leave to go find food elsewhere. How oh, yeah. wonder how wonderful is it to uh, to have a conversation with Matt? Well, it's wonderful for about an hour, and then you need a break. How wonderful is it Absolutely. to have to have a hour long conversation with myself? Well, it's wonderful, and then you need a break. So, um, t- even though especially, the most wonderful with, veg- with what especially with just vegetation, they have their peak times and peak performances. They have a job, and it's not going to be able to support something from. Again, we talk about January 1 to December 31st. It, it's just limitations to what one species can do and provide benefit for. That's, I mean, you think about shortleaf pine. I, I absolutely love shortleaf pines, but we see them where they get into a monoculture, and it's like, okay, we got to clear the table or we're cutting yep. 90% of these out. Same things yep. with, I mean, we get the rap of hating eastern red cedar, but we don't hate eastern red cedar but we hate eastern red cedar monocultures, and unfortunately for them, they turn to a monoculture a lot quicker than a lot of other species out there. So Very therefore, yeah. we really have to monitor the eastern red cedar. So, um, yep. Anyway, so yeah, you got one for me. I do. Okay, this is kind of a complex. One, so I'm gonna try and explain it through all this hustle and bustle here. But mm. would you rather buy a property? Would I rather fly Delta or American? I'm gonna go. <laughs> starting to regenerate or would you rather buy a property that has timber value for market value market price per acre that has timber value and you are supposed to manage it from that point on which one well here and it's interesting i totally know where you got that one um yeah uh, you know for me when it comes to now there's times where (laughs) and this is where i'm gonna have to walk a line matt because if there's timber value and the person doesn't know there's timber value, I want that one. Um, yeah, yeah. But the most, what we see a lot is there being timber value and the people know it and the price is probably higher than what the timber value actually is. Mm-hmm. And what we see a lot is the timber, the farms where the timber has been cut and people think it's ugly the price goes way down, but when I see those properties, Matt sees those properties, we go, ooh, you know there's some wildlife in there, and so therefore, we get to buy wildlife-friendly farms at a much cheaper price, and this is kind of a, I guess this is a huge um, benefit for you guys to hear this, or or uh, potentially if you're looking to buy land, if the real estate agent tells you it's ugly, <laughs> go take a look at that farm and do oh, yeah. yourself a favor because if they think it's ugly, a lot of people probably think it's ugly, but the wildlife probably don't think it's ugly. So go check those out. You probably are going to get uh, – we see it a lot around here in the Ozarks, timber farms that get cut hard, a lot of open canopy, a lot of region coming back. People say, oh, it's a lot of briars and it's, all, it's just nasty. 
But if you manage it correctly and get some really good fires going through there, you can knock those back and have fantastic habitat. Now, it may be a little bit tricky to find trees to hang in. That's where your redneck blind could come in. Um, yeah. And so... I, I honestly, you know, you knew the answer to that one too. I'd, I'd take the farm that's already been cut and, and everybody thinks it's ugly because what is it Chip and Joanna always say? They take the ugliest house in the, in the, best, neighborhood. In the best neighborhood and I'd love to take the ugliest farm in the best neighborhood and, and uh, transform yeah. that and everybody goes, oh. ooh, that's ugly and then all of a sudden you go in there with your magic wand and then they're like, dang, I should have bought that. Oh, yeah. And then you it's say, basically... well, you can in two years, but the price ain't going to be the same. <laughs> Yeah, the, you know, it, I think when you're when you're looking at property, you can't imagine what it what it looks like right now because you have to you have to just imagine. Okay, what's what are the outcome when I do the work? When I do what I know is necessary, then what's the result? Um, they talk about vision or whatever. You know, you have to have that thought process going into some properties. And yeah, it might initially look like, holy cow, this bomb went off over here. But in reality, that simply means that the sunlight is getting all the way to the ground. Like, that's that's the goal. That's yeah. where life comes from. And I think and, of uh, how, many far- how, many oh. far- how many farms have we seen in the Ozarks now where the site registers as a woodland or a savanna and... They go in and and it hasn't been that in a long time, and then they go in and cut all the trees. It's like, well, it's closer to what it should be than what it was oh, as a closed yeah. canopy forest. So basically, phase one is done of, of the initial rehab of that property if it's already been logged, or the majority of it has been logged. We were yeah. at the place in Tennessee we were at recently. Um, you looked at the the map, and it was it was a savanna ish plains type, and majority of it was wooded. It's like no, 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 no. This is this is wrong. This is this needs to be changed. Um, and so it, it just understanding what should be there, I think, um, and the process to get there is going to help basically swallow the pill that says this property is aesthetically looking uh, uh, maybe a two, <laughs> price yeah. wise a ten. Um, but again, I think that's considering, you know, what are your goals with the place? Is it to have the most beautiful place or is it to have great deer and be extremely effective uh, during each sunny season? Yep. I agree. I mean, it's just, uh, it's one of those things that we look at probably at a little bit different mindset than a lot of people. Um, I don't, that's okay. I, 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 100%, I don't like the direction we were headed anyway, so um <laughs> I think the park setting is over. It's time to go, okay, that was cool while it lasted, but we now know that's not very beneficial, so let's cut some trees. So, For sure. Anyway, um, I think that pretty well wraps it up. I know you're boarding soon, Matt. So. Yep, I sure am. Sure sounds like you're already, she just made the announcement. So, um, Anyway, um, hopefully everybody enjoyed this week's Land and Legacy podcast right here on Sportsman's Nation. And uh, if you haven't already, go subscribe to the channel or if you're on iTunes or Stitcher. Um, And also, very important that you don't miss out on this, but as we start releasing films and videos, you don't want to miss out because there's going to be a lot of cross-collaboration between the podcast and the film. So we're going to be talking a 
a lot about what we what we did on the films on the podcast, so you're going to be missing out and a little bit lost if you haven't already liked the Facebook page, Land and Legacy, or the Instagram page, same thing, or go and subscribe on YouTube. So that's us unloading on you right there at the end. Hopefully you enjoyed it. We'll catch you guys next time. We'll see you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Land and Legacy's Hunting and Habitat Management Podcast. If you like what you hear, check us out at landandlegacy.tv. You can submit a viewer question right there, and we're answering on the podcast. Or find us on Facebook and Instagram. Feels pretty good knowing that from the beginning of time, God has called us to be a caretaker, a gamekeeper, a manager of the land. So with that being said, don't you think we should do it all for the love of the land and the glory to God? Mm-hmm.